Hello and welcome to the You Matter to Christ podcast. Many of our listeners and guests call this podcast an experience because throughout the variety of extraordinary people we have on the show, you'll hear stories of overcoming trauma, hitting record-breaking business goals, people forgiving the unforgivable, and yes, even miracles that will shock and inspire you. On this show, you'll hear from professional athletes, entrepreneurs, and everyday people from all walks of life. Discover the profound truth that regardless of your background or circumstances, you matter deeply to the creator of the universe. You were made for a purpose, and you matter to Christ. Get ready for inspiring stories, personal testimonies, and uplifting messages that remind us of the unchanging love and grace available to all. And remember this, you matter to Christ. Welcome, everyone, to another You Matter to Christ podcast. I am with a friend, a friend of the family, a friend of mine, and a friend of Jesus today. And he is Brad Kenny, the founder and executive director of Soccer Chaplains United, and also the lead volunteer chaplain at the Colorado Rapids. Brad and I got to attend a Need to Breathe concert the very first time they played at Red Rocks with him and his wife. We attended. We had great seats and what an amazing concert to remember. They are certainly Christian believers as well. So Brad, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the show. Chad, thanks for having me. I'm excited to dive in, to chat with you and catch up a little bit. This is great. Well, I feel like a lot of times you get to meet somebody and you know we've cut logs together at my brother's property, but do you dig beneath the surface and really get to know the person? So that's what I like to do on these is invest 30 minutes, understand where'd you come from? What were the buzzsaw moments of life? When did God undeniably show up for you? And it really helps our audience because everybody goes through the peaks and the valleys of life. And so helping people understand that even the chaplain standing on the sidelines of the Colorado Rapids have gone through his own ups and downs, I'm sure. And that's what I love to share with the audience. So let's dig in. Yeah, let's do it. So first of all, rewinding the tape, where were you raised on planet Earth? I assume you're not from Mars or anything like that. So where on planet Earth and what was your thing when you were five, six years old? Did you have a passion that you can share about? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm native to Denver, Colorado, but I grew up in Arizona and Michigan. I went to college in Chicago, and then I had moved back here as a senior in high school for a year before taking off for college. And so I've kind of been around a lot of places. When college was over, I came back to Denver and I've been here now the longest time of anything. Yeah, the question of what was my thing when I was five or six years old. So, I mean, I was a a kid in Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona, kind of growing up, learning how to deal with the heat. And I loved it. I didn't know much different. I remember uh, walking into the grocery store and my little 99 cent sandals would kind of melt on the asphalt because it was so hot. So those are some memories that I've got. I love to swim. I love to play with my buddies outside, ride bikes. You know, I think the thing that I was kind of into, like 
certainly I played soccer. I wasn't great at it. I was the slow kid that took extra time to get around the field and get laps done. I had these little G.I. Joe figurines that I would play with. And then my most favorite thing was my parents had gotten my brother and I these little, I guess you'd call them Power Rider. They were motorcycles and they were chips. The California Highway Patrol, there was a big time show in the 80s, Officer Poncharella, like that was my go-to. So I remember playing lots of memories, playing outside as a kid and just kind of being this adventuresome, like take on the world, fight the world. I always wanted to be a forest ranger when I was a kid. We would go up camping up near the Grand Canyon and other places in Arizona. And I wanted to be a forest ranger as a kid. So I just remember I had sort of this outdoorsy, military-ish kind of mentality and uh, kind of carried that through high school. Was a little bit of a nerd about it, to be honest. Hmm. What were your parents like? Did they take you to church on Sundays or what was your experience with the Lord in those days? Yeah, it's an interesting story. So my dad was a motorcycle gang member in Denver. And I always go back to his part of the story because it's a little bit more interesting than my own. But he was part of the Satan Saints or that was the name of the motorcycle gang. And it was his boss at work who witnessed to him. And he tells me he would always walk in. He was kind of a grease monkey at a car place. And he would always walk in and his boss had a Bible open on the desk. And he just seemed at ease and peace. And he was kind of like, what do you have? My dad had grown up Catholic. He had tried to go to seminary, in fact, as a priest. But he just noticed something different about Christian faith was his boss's life. And his boss eventually ended up telling him about Jesus and his relationship and encouraged him to go to this church. His first church experience outside the Catholic Church was South Sheridan Baptist. I think it's still there. And he wound up going to Denver First Church of the Nazarene. It's a church that used to be off Colorado and Hamden. And he and my mom kind of felt like this was so different from their experience growing up in the Catholic Church. And they really felt the presence of God. They felt community. They felt warmth. And they were searching for something. As a young couple, I was conceived out of wedlock. So there was a lot going on for my folks. And so I tell people, I've not known a day when I wasn't going to church or in church. And I think my parents, to one extent, they went to this extreme of, let's be in church every time the doors are open. So we were there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday nights. We were there for some of these uh, week-long spiritual renewal times during the summer. We would do church camp as a family. So I grew up very heavily invested in church and church family. And uh, that really, I think, was a shift for my parents. So that's kind of really I've known. In fact, mom used to say, you're going to be my preacher boy. And well, of course, sometimes as kids, we don't really want to do what our mom wants. So I reacted against that a bit. I did not want to be a preacher boy. And here I am today, a chaplain. So we have to figure that out. Wow, that's a neat story. I would not have known that. So a lot of times going to church, you know, we went to Our Father Lutheran Church in Colorado and it was in an office building. Then we moved to this other office building and then we moved to a big church where it still resides today. And I can remember kind of the flip between reading the Bible verses and going to vacation Bible school and then moving to relationship. 
because obviously you were brought to church for a week at a time, Sundays, Wednesdays. Do you remember the time for you when it flipped from going to church on Sundays to a relationship? Yeah, that's a great question. I actually do remember I've got a moment. I was at a youth congress. So this big gathering, all these kids were in Orlando, Florida. And I don't remember the speaker's name. I remember there was a song by Al Denson. And the question in the song was, will you be the one? And I think the lyrics go on to say something. Will you be the one to kind of follow Jesus and shine out the light when no one else does? And I just remember feeling moved in that moment. I stood up kind of in this huge crowd. There were, I think there were other kids that stood up too, you know, kind of feeling this move. And I had had this dream going kind of back to my childhood. I had had this dream that I was going to be at West Point Military Academy. I was going to go serve in our nation's military. And I just felt compelled in that moment to say, God, this has been my dream. Selfishly, I've had it, but I'm going to give it to you. And if you still want it for me, like if it's still something I'm supposed to do, I'll be obedient to it. But you tell me where I'm supposed to go. You tell me who I'm supposed to be, what I'm supposed to do. And I think that's a moment where my faith, which had been influenced by my parents and had been on their coattails in a lot of ways, like that was a moment of my faith becoming my own and in relationship, surrendering what I wanted to what the Lord wanted. And I look back to that moment and I'm so thankful because I think the things that I wanted, not that they were bad or wrong things, really weren't for me. And I look at what I do today, who I get to serve, and there are challenges, but I am so thankful that God has led me where I am today. Mm, that's amazing. When was that youth congress in high school or what time period was that? I think it was summer of 91. So I had like two years left. It was right before my junior year started in high school. And that really, Chad, was a moment of, you know, it's like a journey. That was a signpost. That was a stake in the ground kind of thing. It didn't, for the next two, three, four years, I still pursued that dream. But as God closed doors, rather than being angry or frustrated, I just understood, okay, that's not what you have for me. And I tried to trust, like, it's not easy when you're in the middle of it. It's easier looking backward to go, oh, I definitely see the hand of God in this. But in those moments, I think surrendering it allowed me to take it on differently. Love that. If you're listening to the podcast and you're seeing doors close around you and you're like, where's the next open door? Just remember what Brad's talking about here, because same thing happened for me in one year when I had three traumatic events in one year. It was like, boom, door closed, door closed, door closed, door closed. And I'd never experienced three traumatic events in one year with my son being burned in the fire accident and recovering because of our faith and prayer. So if you feel the doors closing, just know that there's another door opening and the one that you're supposed to walk through. Talk to me about if that younger self, the one with the nine cent sandals walking down the heat in Arizona, if he came up and knocked on the door right now and said, Brad, brother, let me sit down and grab a few minutes with you. What do you think he would say about the journey you've been through and kind of what you're working on right now? Because you had those dreams and aspirations. You had West Point on your mind. It turned out differently when you turned your life over to God at the Congress you know, at the Youth Congress, what do you think younger Brad would say to current Brad right now? Yeah. You know, as you ask that question, it's interesting because oftentimes we ask it in reverse, right? We say, what would the older self tell the younger self? 
But I think the younger self, the younger Brad would probably try to remind me to play. I tend to be pretty intense. You can ask my family. I've got four daughters. They know dad's pretty intense. Sometimes they struggle with that, my intensity, my perfectionism. And I think sometimes in the course of doing my work, trying to serve the Lord well, it's hard for me to step off the gas, to breathe, to relax, to play, to be playful. And I think sometimes the refreshment of my heart, my soul, my spirit comes from really being recreated, resting in the Lord instead of trying to do it myself. And I find myself, I've got some great people in my life that pastors, mentors, others who just tell me sometimes, Brad, you need to surrender, like remember to surrender and let go of some of these things that you so long for and want. They're not bad things, but you need to enjoy the journey too. And I think that younger self would maybe speak to some of those things. Mm, I love that. I feel like Jesus loves the little children. And when you read the books about Jesus and the kids running to him, and a lot of time the world puts on our map of the world. And so I love to ask that question because there could be one degree off of what it is we're working on today. And yet if we're still the same kid that we were when we were five and 10 and 20, you know, that we are now at whatever age we are. So it's a good exercise to go through. So it sounds like you've gone through a lot of amazing things in life to get to where you're now on Orchard and I-25 at a church, working as a chaplain and doing the things that you get to do. I imagine there were a few bumps along the way, whether it's a small speed bump or a mountain size tragedy that you had to experience. What's something that you're comfortable sharing on the show that you think would be important for our listeners to hear and understand that you went through? Yeah, I think two moments come to mind and they're related. The first was 2015. I actually left. I had been on church staff full time at a large church here in the Denver area. And the leaving was, I was really wounded in the way that things were done and some of the things said. And I was really hurt. I was in a state of thinking, you're not a very good pastor, you're a less and better Christian. So I really walked away from that wounded. Now, God used that to launch me into doing more of what I do now full-time with Soccer Chaplains United, doing the chaplaincy with Rapids and leading others in those things. But that was really hard. And again, just part of the journey of faith. Related to that was about a year or two on from that and in the midst of all the struggles of leaving, you know, kind of what the church had become was a place of financial security and stability for my family. And so my middle daughter, Kaylee, was we were on a vacation with friends and we were in Missouri and she got really sick. We didn't know what it was. Fortunately, we had a friend who is in the medical field and was like, I think this is appendicitis or maybe an appendix thing. And we rushed to Children's Hospital there in Kansas City. We got there in time. Her appendix had ruptured. She had to go in for emergency surgery. We were at Children's for, it was like 10, 12 days, something like that. And at a time in which I raise support, right? I'm a volunteer at what I do. And so it's a very much a step of faith and God's protected us in many ways. And this was just felt overwhelming. We found out that our insurance for some reason was messed up. And so there were all these questions surrounding 
my daughter, but it was like, no, we have to have the care and the treatment. This is critical. And there were just some nights I remember by a hospital bed and being with her, being with the family. We actually, our other children went home with our friends from that vacation while we stayed at the hospital. So that was one of those critical moments, I think, Chad, when the Lord was saying, I'm here and you know, here I am. I'm usually the person that makes the visit in the hospital room. I'm usually the one that walks in offering comfort and reminders of God's presence and faith to others. And to have others, I was on the receiving end. And that opened my eyes to some things. That opened the eyes to a test of faith that I think the the Lord had us walk through and it was not easy. And a lot of things just kind of compounded into that moment where the Lord just kept saying, will you trust me? And that question that sometimes think of Peter stepping away from the boat and walking out on the water and Jesus calling to him, there's been many moments like that when I felt like Jesus was calling me away from the safety and security of something to step out in faith. And even in the stepping out, when I fail, when I fall, when I start to sink, I've had to learn that Jesus will be there to hold me, to pick me up, to lift me up. And those two moments, the leaving the church and then that moment with my daughter are two of the more hurtful, painful, difficult moments when I really, my faith I felt was really tested and tried. And so I'm thankful and grateful for my faith because I've sat wondering, how do people with no faith handle these kinds of things? And I think I've been very blessed. My family's been very blessed. We don't have too much tragedy or difficult things that we've faced, but without our faith in Jesus, I don't know that we make it through those things. So I've been talking to a lot of athletes recently. And in fact, one of the folks that you know that you've been a chaplain to before. And a lot of times I find a common theme pro athlete is that when they hit the end of their athletic career and they need to make a transition, they go through this time of question, just like my dad when he retired from medicine and he had to go through that transition. For my dad, because I was talking to him about this, he said, I started working on the ranch and volunteering and I moved to three-quarter time. And so he did a transition where it wasn't as big of a shock to the system because he had already done some of the work before the move. I talked to another pro surfer, 27 years in pro surfing, which is way beyond what most people get to do in that kind of a career. But he began writing at the very beginning of the career. So he was already living a double life. And so the identity transfer wasn't as hard. It sounds like when you left the church in 2015, you lived through a similar kind of an identity crisis where, wait, this is kind of who I was and what I was part of. What would you share with an athlete? Soccer, football, NFL, NBA, water polo, doesn't really matter. It's someone who's competitive and lives in those regime of making discipline and living that life. What did you learn in your faith walk and in your transition from 2015 to 2023 that you could share with the listeners, especially if you're an athlete going through identity crisis? Chad, that's another great question. Even the environment that I'm in, serving as a chaplain to a pro sports organization, pro sports team with its athletes and staff and the other members that make up. I've even thought, you know, I've been volunteer chaplain for 22 seasons so far, and I anticipate there will be a time that I'll even transition from that. And 
there's a lot of identity wrapped up in that. I think sometimes people get excited. They're like, oh, you're the chaplain for the Rapids. Well, tell me, who are the people of faith on the team? Or what do you do? And there's an excitement around it, right? And so one of the things that I've had to learn from the 2015 experience and from what I anticipate even my own transition someday being is that first, as my identity is centered in Christ, it doesn't matter what I do or what I've done, what I've accomplished or what I've failed at. I am loved. I am beloved. And it's funny, sometimes I forget some of the moments shared with people and they bring it up. Or there's reminders that sometimes come across my phone. But those things, I think, are some of the benefit of just following God, following Jesus. I think that he just reminds me that he loves me. And so realizing that, but also, too, like your dad had wisdom. And I encourage athletes, too, that there are other parts to us as people, ways that God has made us, that as we lean into those things, God often will give us the opportunity to prepare for those chapter changes, I call them. You know, it's like when the book flips or when the season shifts. Sometimes in Colorado, you and I know you experience a dramatic change to season because all of a sudden summer is here and we go from 60 degrees to 95 or we go from 90 degrees to a freezing cold and snow. But God's changes for our lives, I think he graciously helps us in the transition moments so that we start to see something that he might have for us in the future. I remember actually when I started working at that church, again, a large church and as a seminary student, you're always thinking like, you know, we've arrived and certainly had some of those thoughts when we came on staff. And I remember pulling out of the church parking lot with my wife and I was like, well, here we are. What's next? What could possibly God have for us in store? And my wife just said, I know what it is for you. And I've only been working here a few months and we're not thinking of moving on, but she's like, you'll teach her. I see that you want to teach people, you want to coach people. And so sometimes God uses other people to show us those things. And I just encourage the athletes and I say this to the athletes I work with and others that God probably has put people in your life, situations in your life to reveal to you other places of calling that he has, whether that's for you being a good spouse, a good parent whether that's you entering into a different field. I remember one athlete I worked with, he told me, he says, I just love to help my teammates. And so we talked about what are some of the caregiving roles out there that you could potentially take on as you leave pro sports. And as he got into it, he became a recruiter, a headhunter. And so he goes, and what he loves doing now is matching up a company with a person and finding great fits. And in so many ways, I look back on the conversations and the coffees that we had and some of the tears of what does God have for me when this career is over? And I think God's landed him in a great place where all of his gifts, talents, passions are all wrapped up into serving others in a team kind of way for the mutual benefit of of different parties. And I just go, wow, God, you spoke through some of these conversations and was leading him into this great place in his life. And I think God has that for each of us. If we'll open our eyes and see some athletes I work with, they're absolutely skeptical or superstitious. They go, I can't think about anything that's next because it'll mean I'm less than 100% for what I have to give myself to today, which in pro sports is a big challenge. Like you don't want to be a distracted. You want to focus and to be elite, you have to give a lot and sacrifice. 
But I do think God lets us be more than just that name on the back of a jersey or that badge, that team we play for, that sport we play. And he leads us into those things really well. Yeah, that's really good, deep, because a plan B, I don't want a plan B because then I'm not giving my all for the plan A, which shows you if you can't build the backup plan because you want to focus on, that's okay. That's what God's calling is. But it even shows you more the reliance upon faith, right? You're going to cross that bridge in a month instead of in five years. That's okay. Just be cognizant of for a competitive athlete like myself. I played college lacrosse. I made the all-star team my senior year of high school, the first year I played. And I'm just a competitor. And you apply that same competitive skill to almost anything. And, you know, whether it's, it doesn't matter, foosball, pinball, you know, I would spend hours and go learn how to play foosball watching VHS tapes up in college. And I was terrible at it at first. But when you're (laughs) once a competitor, always a competitor, I think. And so figuring out what you should be competitive in, like your colleague that chose to do recruiting or Josh Bordner, the captain of the Boston College football team didn't make the Detroit Lions as he had planned. And then he came out to work for me as an entry-level business development representative. And he ran circles around the rest of the team and became a leader. And now he's still at the company. And I'm sure he's done very, very well, probably better than 95% of the pro athletes in America (laughs) because he used his skills on a different field called the field of business. So it's pretty interesting. So we talked about how God can show up through other people and things. How does God show up for you, right? The way that Timmy Bauer showed me to ask the question is, when did God undeniably show up? Some people hear him, some people see him, like there's a lot of different ways he can be there. Is there something that you could share that might be impactful for people? Yeah, I think sometimes I want the dramatic, you know, I want the home run, but I would say, you know, as I look back on my life thus far, I just see the little ways that God in advance was before me. He was with me in a moment. He was behind me and had my back. And so I think I look back at so many different things and I see the goodness of God. Wasn't always easy, but I just see, oh, that's what you were doing. Or that's why you even think back to my childhood a little bit, moving around as I did as a kid growing up, you know, born in Denver, but moving around and coming back to Colorado, I think gave me a sensitivity to people who are in the midst of moving and transition, which most of the pro sports world is always on the move. It's a nomadic life because you go where the game has you and you pursue the contract, you pursue success, you pursue the different things that pro career, that dream, that desire, that call. And so I think You know, I just even look back on my own life and I go, okay, God, you've prepared me in so many ways to do and to be who I am today. And even in these moments now, I think back to, so when I finished seminary, I was a hospice chaplain. And I look now, many of the athletes that I've served over the years, over these 22 years, now their parents are aging. Now their family members are starting to get sick or go through illnesses or struggles And I look back at the hospice experience as a hospice chaplain and those stories, it's no problem for me to walk into a hospital in the midst of tragedy. So I just, I see the ways that God has shown up in my story, given me hard things to work through, to trust in him, 
so that now I can do that for others. And it harkens back to a verse in in 2 Corinthians where it just talks about the suffering that we go through is really so that we can then comfort others in what we've said. Let me just read this real quick. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. And Paul there goes on to write and talk about how stress, distress, trouble, trauma, and then the comfort we get out of our faith, like God has us go through those things so that we can turn to the next person and share with them and show them like, hey, friend, I don't know exactly what you're going through, but I can tell you that God, Jesus, like there's a comfort there that comes through faith. And I can't explain it all the time. I don't even understand it myself. And I've studied it for years. I've gone through it. But friend, let me tell you the thing you're going through lets God comfort be part of your life. And I just look and see, these are some of the ways that God has shown up for me and my family. Amazing. So kind of last question is around prayer. There's an app that just came out, I don't know, 2017 called pray.com. They have 15 million downloads, 4 million active users. And what I've heard recently is that 42% of Americans are quote unquote spiritually skeptical, which means they're not one way or the other, they don't have an opinion on it, right? They're skeptical. And I believe that's the kind of folks that Jesus seeked out, right? The sheep that was in the field, not the 99, he would go after the one lost sheep. If you could share about prayer, because you've been in churches, you've been on the field. We talked about your move from being at a church to having relationship. And I feel like that's what we're at in a culture and a society is, hey, let's focus on the relationship first. Church can be there to support you. And it's a great idea to read the Bible and go on Sundays. Talk to me about prayer. Why do you pray? How do you pray? Anything that you think would be relevant around your prayer life? Yeah, my prayer life is developing. I think I'm still learning, you know, what does it mean to pray without ceasing? I mean, if we took that literally, we would die, right? You know, we wouldn't eat food. We, we wouldn't take a break, at least the way we think of prayer sometimes. And so it was helpful for me. I look back on my journey at what prayer is and prayer is conversation as we relate it into relationship. I do think though, too, sometimes prayer needs the system and formula. I noticed as a hospice chaplain that one of the litmus tests I would use for patients to see are they in decline was we would pray the Lord's prayer together because these were anchors, even in the midst of, I would have people with dementia who were able to cite the Lord's prayer because it was so ingrained in their memory and it would bring them comfort to recite and say the Lord's prayer, really the prayer that we're to pray. And so I would see things like that. I also remember too, a friend of mine, as we would in hospice, we would hold little chapel services. We would light candles And I was encouraged that sometimes I have to go about the work of the day. And so sometimes there's an activity or there's a process by which my prayers continue to rise. And so as I pray and maybe light this candle, this candle will burn for a few hours. And it's representative of my prayers continuing to go up before the Lord. Even if I 
step away and I begin to do another part of my work or my call for the day, like this is a representative thing of my prayers going up before the Lord. When I drive in my car and the music I listen to, the words maybe I sing along to, they become a prayer. Or as I walk the empty stadium hallways, as I walk out to the training field, as I walk a game for the rapids or other places, I walk and I pray. And sometimes the Lord will literally push people into me. And all of a sudden, this is the answer to a prayer. This is for them, maybe. I remember one time I was in the stadium just as a match was getting on, and I noticed these ladies had been doing my prayer walk. I always circle the stadium at least once before a match and pray. And I noticed these ladies sit down, and they were sitting in sort of this special seating area. And this lady dropped a gold bracelet. And the cleaning staff came along, and they were kind of cleaning up and not paying attention to what was on the ground. And I noticed, I went over and grabbed this lady's bracelet out of the garbage and gave it to the friend. And she goes, oh, you don't know. Like, this was my friend's mother's memento or something. Her mother just died, and here we are, like, taking in this game and trying to get away from what's been going on. And her friend returned later, just really super thankful that she had not lost this thing. And so I just felt like, okay, Lord, maybe my prayer walk today, you've moved me to this part of the stadium for this moment to just intercept and intercede on this lady's behalf, because this would have been a, a great loss for her. And so I see the ways that prayer, if we allow it to, can lead us and guide us for the day. I think sometimes in my role as a chaplain, I'm not sure where I'm supposed to be, where I'm supposed to go, who I'm supposed to interact with. And I look back, the historical, the Celtic monks, they would get into a boat, they would draw in the oars, they would hoist up the sail, and then they would pray. They would say, Lord, lead us today to the island, to the village, to the people that you want us to love on and serve. And they would just let the wind and the tides take them. And when they landed or when they felt like they were in the right place, they would get out and just seek out, like, who are those lost sheep? Who are the people you've called us to serve? And so very often I kind of feel blown by the wind a little bit, blown by the spirit, like, Lord, show me who am I supposed to intercept today? Who am I supposed to speak to today? Who am I supposed to love on today in your name? And I see that happen so many times when I surrender to it, when I allow myself. And it's not easy. Sometimes it's embarrassing. Sometimes it feel like, what am I doing here? But the Lord is always faithful and he's usually faithful to something else that's been going on that I have no clue about. I'm not smart enough to understand or know the mind of God. He just kind of leads me and others that I know into these moments. Man, in this moment, you validated something that's going on at the Museum of the Bible on September 7th, as you know about from 10 to 11 a.m. Eastern. We just had a committee meeting yesterday with about 20 people. And the idea of the Super Bowl men's choir, gospel choir, they were going to be in Washington for the first Washington Redskins game. Now it turns out they're not. So we said, could you join by Zoom? Have three of the guys or so join by Zoom. And what is it that they would sing? And Bill, one of the committee members said, can you sing the Lord's Prayer? And so when you said that just now, and you talked about the gold bracelet and that randomness, it's nothing's random. Right? There's so much that's planned in our lives that even the Lord's Prayer, because of the work you did in hospice, it makes sense to me. So when the committee continues to talk about that, I wrote it down on the Google Doc and you've just helped me snap the chalk on that. 
The quote that I would read to you that Darren Gray, who's the founder of the Pro Player Prayer Project, he says it's by Oswald Chambers, if you're familiar with that man. Prayer does not fit us for the greater works. Prayer is the greater work. And when you live in that, and I've witnessed now, Darren, yesterday he said he had 19 or so Zoom calls and phone calls with players and athletes and Joe Gibbs on Saturday evening. Just he meets with so many people all day, every day, just like a lot of us do. He said he prayed 16. I thought he said 60 and it was either 60, but that sounds like such a big number or 16. But I'll bet you that's 16 times more than most business people are praying in a day. And I find when you're in a business setting with people and you just say, hey, can we close out in prayer? Nobody's going to say, no, you cannot. I mean, most people, when you say, can I pray for you or can I pray for this meeting? And you just invite God in. What I believe is we live in the 5% or 2% of our conscious mind. The unconscious mind and inviting God in just allows us to open up a whole nother level of creativity and understanding. And just by pausing for a few minutes and saying, God, what is your will for me today? Thank you for this day. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it is usually how I open my day. And then when I go to bed at night, it's your will be done. So Brad, this has been an amazing conversation. If people want to get involved or help out with the work that you're doing, where would you direct them? Yeah, we have a website. It's going to be going through a little bit of a refresh here in a little bit, but soccerchaplainsunited.org. Really our work, our calling is to place chaplains with soccer teams. So that could be pro, semi-pro, even amateur, high school, college. You know, if someone has a heart for chaplaincy serving the people of soccer, the people in the sport, that's really the work that we're called to equip them to sometimes have the conversations to help lead and guide them to be a community collaborating and supporting them. And so we've got a, just even the other day, Chad, I was looking locally here in Colorado, we've got three semi-pro teams where, yeah, I just, I would think that you have these collegiate athletes, they're trying to keep on top of their game and they go through things, they go through life. And so to have people available, open, willing to serve, to pray, to walk alongside of, to support the athletes, the coaches, the staff people in those moments from the pro game on down. Like our vision is really to put a person who can come alongside these people in soccer specifically. So soccerchaplainsunited.org is a great place to start. We have links. We've got an app where we link to many different things. We've got a podcast. I do some of my own podcasting as well. It's a great little outlet. And the name of your podcast is? From the Touchline. The sidelines on each side where the player can touch the ball with his hands is so from the Touchline with Rev Brad. Yeah, that's been a great thing for the past few years to do. It's a weekly podcast available on Apple and, you know, just all those places you can get podcasts and stuff. Awesome. Well, we're going to be praying on the 7th for all 1,696 pro athletes that are active in the NFL on the 23-24 season from the museum with a lot of people that are pro players. There have been requests from WNBA, soccer, all different levels, youth up to pro to semi-pro. So I'd love to collaborate with you as we expand the Pro Player Prayer Project to be able to pray for all athletes at the start of their season 
to give them protection and wisdom and everything it is that God comes with and watches over these folks. So I really, Brad, it's been a pleasure diving deeper today. I thank God for your parents and, you know, that your dad went from what he went through in, of all things, with Satan in the name of the gang that he was in in Denver and the biker gang, and he found Jesus. So no matter what it is you're going through, everyone that's listening today, even someone who was in the grips of a biker gang that had Satan in the name was able to change his life, which in turn led to Brad Kenny being able to pastor and minister to hundreds of athletes and people all around him. So it's never too late. Remember when Jesus was on the cross and there were two people alongside of him being crucified, one was a murderer and Jesus said, today you will be with me in heaven. So no matter what you've done, it doesn't matter. Jesus loves you no matter what, period, full stop. There's no question. There's no yeah, but. And I think Brad's story today of going through what the life he's led and the people he's touched is pretty amazing. So Brad, thank you for being here. Thanks, Chad. All right, everyone. Thanks for joining another You Matter to Christ podcast. And remember, you matter to Christ. Thank you for joining us on the You Matter to Christ podcast. We hope this journey has reminded you of the incredible truth that your life holds immense value and significance to Christ. As you go about your day, may you carry the assurance that no matter what you face, you are deeply cherished and loved. Remember, you matter to Christ. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and share it with others who may benefit from this message. Stay tuned for more transformative episodes where we continue to explore the depth of God's love and grace. Until next time, remember that you are not alone. Christ's love is with you, guiding and strengthening you every step of the way. May your life be filled with hope, purpose, and the knowledge that you matter to Christ. Christ.